Hello, I'm Neil Sharp, Proposition and Marketing Director at Penn and your host for this podcast. My guest today is Catherine Strachan, Founder and Managing Director of Copyhouse, which in their own words is a technology content marketing agency working with some of the largest tech brands in the world on amazing copy and content. Now, I'm convinced that a lot of people in business think they can write pretty good copy. How hard can it be to write something, especially if it's about a subject which you understand well or something which you're passionate about? And yes, many people can write okay, and in a lot of cases, really quite well. But the difference a good copywriter can make is huge. The number of times I've submitted a piece of long or short copy to our agency with the sign-off at the bottom of the email that says something like, I think it's almost there, guys. You shouldn't need to spend too long editing it. Famous last words, because quite often they have a copywriter take a look and it comes back completely transformed, often simplified, and just generally in a much more targeted and engaging form. Copywriting plays a massive role in customer experience, often as the unsung hero or heroine. Just think how, particularly in the digital landscape, the extent to which what you read is what informs you about an organization, about its products and services, and even about its brand. Copy appears at many touch points in a journey, and good copy is often the sole determinant of whether you stay, read on, and engage, or simply hit the back button and try again. In this episode, I explore with Catherine the copywriting process using the lens of our customer experience framework, exploring everything from how you anchor the words the customers see in your strategy and your brand, through to the tools and methods used to target your copy, and also how you measure success of what you write. I came away with a lot of ideas and thoughts around the linkage between the work that we do in customer experience and copywriting, and I hope you get some good insights as well. So let's talk to Catherine. So, afternoon, Catherine. Thank you so much indeed for joining. And I'd love to explore a whole range of things this afternoon with you about what you do for a living, but also particularly looking at it through the lens of customer experience and the framework that we use to describe customer experience, which we'll get onto in a moment. But perhaps first of all, could you just describe really your background and Copy House, how it came to being, and, and really you know what you specialize in? Yeah, of course. So I'm Catherine Strachan, I'm the managing director of Copyhouse. Copyhouse is a content marketing agency specializing in the technology space. So we do everything from the strategy where we help set customer avatars and USPs and essentially all the core ingredients that you need for creating really great content to content production. Content production for us means copywriting, content design, and social media. So with copywriting, what we do is we do big flagship pieces, you know, run unique surveys and create thought leadership content, do thought leadership content based on subject matter, expert interviews, standard blog articles, sales collateral, all that sort of stuff. We also do content design so we can design everything that we write. We design the white papers and the infographics and all that kind of stuff. And then we do B2B social media. So that tends to be LinkedIn and Twitter and personal brand building. Fantastic. Thank you. And, and how did you get into that? What's your background? So I'm a copywriter by trade. I uh, yeah worked agency side for a while, and then I went freelance, and my freelance business quickly started to take off. And as my freelance business did take off, rather than you know starting to turn away work, I started to bring on other. Well, first they were freelancers, but now they're employees, freelancers, and to build the company as you know as we won new deals and won bigger and bigger clients. Yeah, so it's been about 
three years, we've been hiring for about two and we've grown the team from just myself to a team of about 25 people, which is really exciting. Great growth. We work with some pretty big names like Facebook and Meta and Klarna and Tink, as well as, you know, some perhaps lesser known names across the technology space, everything from insured tech to health tech to fintech and everything in between. Fantastic. Well, congratulations on the growth. Sounds like it's going really well. And really, I, I just wanted to make sort of a distinction as well. I mean, I presume that a lot of what you do nowadays is digital, but do you do print media as well? No, not really. By not really, I mean not at all, because we haven't done anything in print. Sometimes perhaps, you know, a brochure or something we create will be printed, but no, we don't do print media. No. Okay. That's great. Just, I think it's just good to contextualize what we're talking about here because obviously uh, most of the stuff that uh, we're working on, I think is probably digital in some form or another. So, uh, uh, Yeah. You almost page. forget that uh, print media <laughs> exists. exists. I don't yeah, remember so. the last time I read a newspaper or, you know, read even a magazine that wasn't on my phone. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I remember when I started my career in marketing, we used to actually do typesetting and we used to go to the printers and, and look at the plates and things like that. So it shows how old I am. So, uh, when we were building brochures. So it seems like a long ago now. Anyway, so what I was going to do today, if I may, is just explore everything that you do and really explore good copywriting and, and the way in which that plays a, a massive role in how people experience organizations. And obviously, particularly with your specialism in, in the tech sector, it'd be very interesting to hear some examples around that. But And, and really do that through the eyes of our framework that we use within customer experience, which Starts with purpose and strategy. So thinking about what you want to try and be, you know, what is it that you're trying to achieve here? Gets into design around the experience. So who is it you're targeting? What kind of a, a journey you might want them to go on as they as they go through their interactions with you? Then into the kind of mechanics of how that is delivered. Think about if you like the, the the more subtle cultural side of that, and think about how you know get under the skin of not only the people that you're trying to communicate with, but also the brands that you're representing when you're doing what you do. And then finally, thinking about measurement and return on investment, if we may. So kind of almost going around in a bit of a circle to, um, to, to think about all those aspects. And in doing that, maybe we could start off with purpose and strategy. So, you know, tell us about how perhaps you would normally get into a really good understanding of what the strategy is around the copy that you're writing? Do you really get into a deep discussion about the strategic aims of the organization and then get into the role that the copy is playing in that? Or is it a little bit more simple than that? It kind of depends on the client and it depends on the project as well and you know how big it is and what we're going for. I mean, typically, if a client doesn't have any sort of strategy to begin with, we do a core messaging workshop. So that core messaging workshop dives into and helps to build things like USPs and whys and hows and customer avatars and tone of voice and you know all of these core ingredients that you need for creating really effective content. If a client comes to us and they already have some of that, it may just be a case of refreshing it and making sure that it's still aligned. So in that way, we do dive into, you know, the business and the backstory behind the business and where it's going and that sort of thing from a content perspective. And that kind of sets the foundation for creating really great content and for creating, you know, a content strategy, the content strategy being, you know, very granular in terms of the focus, the keywords, the audience, you know, all of those sorts of details. 
if a client has been doing content for quite some time, we might also do a content audit. So the content audit looks at how their past content is performing, you know, what's working, what's not working, and then, you know, makes recommendations for content refreshes. Quite often, you know, when brands have been publishing content for a long time, they lack, yeah, they lack that. So, you know, perhaps some of the past content hasn't been optimized for SEO or isn't performing as well as it should, or did perform really well and has since become outdated. So, you know, perhaps an article on top 10 tips for 2018 is still driving a lot of traffic, but obviously that should be updated because it's no longer 2018. So, you know, looking at that sort of stuff and then setting the foundation with the strategy and that sets us up for moving into content production. Excellent. And do you ever get involved in projects where you're trying to almost convey the purpose of the organization. I mean, a lot of the work that we've done, certainly in the last couple of years around customer experience, it it often, the really successful projects are those that start from having a really deep understanding of almost the role that the organization plays in people's lives, if you like, if I can put it that way, and, and really trying to convey that. And I'm guessing that very carefully crafted words must play a big role in that as well, in terms of actually how you communicate those kinds of things. I mean, do you get involved in projects like that? Yeah, I mean, part of that core messaging is diving into customer avatars and looking at, you know, the messages that people want and need to hear. So that aligns with, you know, the messages, the role that the company plays within their lives and how it makes their lives easier, you know, perhaps causes some stress or might be scary at first, you know, these sorts of things. So, yes, we do. And, you know, the insights that come out of this core messaging workshop are really helpful for lots of different types of content, like websites, as well as, you know, investment decks and these things that have to be highly personalized to the brand. So, yes, we do. And we do it during that core messaging workshop. Great. Okay. Fantastic. Thank you for that. And I guess you've already talked about avatars. So sort of moving into the actual designing of the content, if I can phrase it that way. I mean, obviously, you're you're building out avatars, personas of of your the people that you're trying to communicate with. And I guess within that, you're getting into almost their emotional state as well in terms of, you know, what is it that's worrying them? How do you connect with them in, in the right way? How do you do that? Do you do that through workshops and then sort of build out an avatar, if you like, in some kind of graphical way? Or how do you communicate that back? Yeah, I mean, we use a workshop to kind of set the hypothesis, so to speak. So to gather the insights that the brand has on these people. But then what we need to do is to verify the hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So we do interviews with people who match that like top level demographics. So, you know, people who align to see if the assumptions that we made, the hypothesis that we set are correct or need to be refined. So we normally interview people who are both current customers as well as people who are not that we source from our network and use these interviews to further make sure that, you know, the messages that we're going out with are accurate and that they reflect and aren't just assumptions that the brand is making. Yeah. And within that, do you also then use things like customer journeys to sort of think about the context in which somebody might be receiving the message that you're putting out? So quite often, again, in our work, we would not only use the avatars, but then what we do is is think about the entire journey. We might even think about the different channels by which somebody can experience an organization and then start to think about each individual touch point. I guess, do you do that as well to really think about where that copy is landing and, and how the context is building, if you like, through the journey? Yes. I mean, it depends on the client. It depends on how deeply we're going into the strategy. What we always do is to map it across the funnel and to think about the difference where somebody's headspace might be in that top of funnel, mid funnel, bottom of funnel, 
et cetera. So we always, all of our content strategies map across the funnel. Sometimes we do customer journey mapping where, yeah, we look at, you know, each of the different touch points and the messages that are going out across them to make sure that they're all aligned. A lot of our work is, you know, in the long form content around social. So, you know, we sometimes don't get involved in all of that content, but it depends on how deeply, you know, we're going into the strategy if we're doing a full mapping or if it's, you know, just mapping across the funnel and thinking about how people are, you know, at each different stage in the buying process. Just picking up on a term they use, I mean, you talked about long-form content. It might not be a term that everybody understands. I mean, I guess it's, it is what it says on the tin insofar as it's not, it's not a short message. It's something that's got um, maybe a white paper or some kind of thought leadership piece or whatever. Could you just sort of bring to life perhaps an example of long-form content? Because it, it feels like it's an extremely important part of creating the overall experience and um, I guess plays a big role in what you do for a living in terms of uh, your specialism. Yeah, I mean, long-form content can be everything from big flagship pieces where, you know, we conduct a survey with our partner census-wide and gather those unique insights and create this massive piece of content that, you know, you might create as a brand once or twice a year to, you know, shorter articles, say, of a thousand words. So that's, you know, your standard blog length is around a thousand words. So it can be everything from that big piece to, you know, a thousand word thought leadership article that captures the insights of a subject matter expert or, even, you know, an ever evergreen blog piece. So it can be quite varied. Thanks. That's really useful. I think people think they probably understand what copywriting is, but I think there's a lot more to it in terms of uh, understanding the different types of copy that exist. So, uh, so thanks for explaining that. And sort of getting deeper into, I mean, we obviously mentioned at the beginning that, you know, the vast majority, if not all of what you do is, is digital. How do you then think about the channels by which you, you put these things out, both in terms of specific channels, for example, in social media, but also in terms of the various different ways in which people can get information to people. Like, is, Does that naturally fall out of the process of thinking about the journey and what you're trying to do? Or is it something that is is deeper than that in terms of really analyzing the best combination of channels and, and methods of delivery to people? Yeah, I mean, it tends to be dictated by the type of content that's being created because the long form content, especially that is SEO optimized, tends to sit on the brand's own website. And that's where you get the best SEO value from and, and link juice and all of that sort of stuff. Sometimes, you know, it might be featured in an art, in a magazine or another publication, but long form content is, I guess, limited and you know where you might place it when it comes to social that's dictated by the audience so you want to go to where your audience is and get in front of them so you know for most b2b brands it's probably going to be linkedin maybe twitter though depending on the industry it might also branch out into other social media channels like like reddit or, or telegraph so there's lots of different ways that you might talk to your where you might talk to your audience but it's really about understanding them and where they're already spending their time online i mean email is another thing that we quite often do to help disseminate the content is you know a drip email campaign or an email newsletter that can be quite good if the brand has an email database but you know it's difficult to do any sort of email marketing without the data so it kind of depends on what the brand has, but also, you know, where their audience is hanging out and where their audience is spending time and, you know, the objectives of the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And and do you sometimes have to advise clients to actually create new capabilities to be able to, to deliver the message 
through the right channels. So, you know, I can't imagine you'll find many clients who don't have a website, but I guess the actual back end of the website itself in terms of the SEO capabilities or whatever might be deficient sometimes. I mean, does it sometimes go as deep as that in actually thinking about creating new capabilities to ensure that you're landing the right copy with the right people? Yeah, I mean, we sometimes advise on that because, you know, the website might be really crappy. It might be a really bad site, and then it's going to impact the performance of the of the long-form content. We, at that point, then need to pull in a partner because we don't do any of the back-end coding or anything like that. But, I mean, the technical side of SEO can definitely have an impact. I mean, if you have slow load times or it's difficult for people to find even where your blog is on your website or, you know, the website does not look legit, you know, you might need to think about a redesign or even a rebuild. We don't build or design websites, so we need to get our one of our trusted partners involved at that stage. But yeah, we quite often advise on on things like that. And just sort of thinking next about, if you like, people and culture. I mean, you know, it's I guess uh, there's a lot of people who think that they know how to write copy. You know, if you say to them, you need to write a blog or anything else, the people will probably roll their sleeves up and think they, they might be able to have a go at that. But I guess there's a, a, a massive void, a massive difference between just doing it and doing it well. <laughs> Otherwise, an organization yours wouldn't exist. So tell me about the, the attributes of a great copywriter. And what I guess what I'm getting at here is, is sort of forming that connection with all the things that we've talked about so far in terms of, if you like, putting yourself in the shoes of not only the person you're writing for, but also ensuring that you're representing the brand of your client in the right way. I mean, what, what, does, a, what does a good copywriter look like if they're sat in front of you? I mean, yeah, it's a difficult question. I think, you know, one thing that we always look for is their aptitude for learning and, you know, their ability to take on feedback. And there's almost a hunger in people who want to constantly learn and develop. And I mean, copywriting, especially at an agency, can be difficult because you're writing across many, many different clients, all of which have their unique preferences and content can be quite subjective. So those preferences can vary quite a lot depending on the client. So, you know, you need people who have the right attitude and the right approach and, you know, are able to take on feedback and, you know, learn from it and grow from it and, you know, develop and feedback is is not a bad thing. You know, feedback is actually quite a positive thing because it's a conversation between, you know, the client and us to help them, you know, figure out what they want their content to be. So it's not a bad thing, but some people struggle with feedback. So, you know, looking for somebody who has the right kind of mindset and the right attitude and also, you know, of course, a background. We tend to hire mid and seniors. We used to hire more juniors and, you know, really nurture and develop them. But we're so busy these days that we really need people who can come in and hit the ground running. So we do tend to hire mid and senior level copywriters. So, you know, these people normally come with some sort of background, especially in the tech space, since we're specialists in technology content. It's important for us to have people who have some understanding of the space. Um, You know, it's a very difficult thing to wake up and write about. So, you know, somebody coming from a B2C background would probably really struggle, you know, to suddenly switch from writing about, say, cosmetics to writing about technology. You know, it's quite a big leap. So we kind of look at their background, but also at their soft skills. And it's really a combination of both of those. Yeah. Okay. And how do you really get under the skin of the cultural organization again i'm just reflecting as you were talking there about when we have really great projects it's when the team land and they really immediately click with not only the people they're working for but they just get the culture and therefore it becomes a very natural 
kind of processes you know in any of the projects that we're working obviously we do quite different things to the stuff that you do but how do you do that does that just come from having inquisitive people that have got the kind of attributes you've talked about or are there any sort of tricks if you like or tools that you use to really get under the skin of of how an organization works yeah i mean and it depends as well because you know if you're just doing two articles a month or even just four articles a month you know you don't need to be as deeply integrated into you know the client's culture and organization i mean especially in the tech world there can be cultures that are not particularly healthy but you know it depends on the client because we're not always you know deep as deeply involved as needing to ingrain ourselves i mean we always see ourselves as an extension of the team but obviously the quantity and the size of the project dictates how much of an extension we are to the team so i mean it's kind of a difficult question to answer because we're not always super embedded like that. And, you know, we do work with them as an external party as well. So we don't tend to, you know, sub in copywriters or do anything like that, which gives us control over our culture. Though, I mean, we have found that most of our clients are culturally aligned because we are rolling out a four-day working week in August. And, you know, as we've been talking to our clients about that, they're all like, oh, that's awesome. I really want to do that. Like, you're going to have to tell me how it goes and, you know, really into that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. No, 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 that's great. I'd just love to pick up on the four-day week thing. I mean, that that sounds uh, obviously very interesting, obviously much written about as well at the moment. How did you arrive at that decision? That feels like quite a bold move. Yeah, it was. But I've always really liked to be bold and brave with our company culture. So, you know, long before the pandemic, we had remote working and, you know, we didn't have hard stop or end times and we had a work from anywhere policy. But then the pandemic kind of happened. And, you know, while we were in the pandemic, everybody was doing it, but it was kind of uncertain what that would be after. But, you know, we found after that a lot of companies are still doing remote working or flexible working. And, you know, a lot of these things have continued, which is super great. But it means that it's no longer a competitive advantage to be remote or to do flexible working. So, you know, we had to look at how we could reclaim that competitive advantage because when we're competing for talent, we're competing against really big VC-backed brands. So we're competing against the likes of Revolut and, you know, Monzo and, you know, these big names that, you know, have far more funding than we do as a startup scale-up agency. We had to get creative and think about what we could do and how we could yeah, position ourselves and also give our team a really good work-life balance and you know champion all those things that we've always been passionate about and like take it to the next level, basically. So it seemed like, I mean, it was it's well aligned with our culture because we've always been you know, about flexible working and always been about a work-life balance and yeah, have always given our team lots of freedom and trust and all of these sorts of things. So it was kind of a natural step. Hmm. Interesting. And do you, I'll just ask this question. You don't have to answer it. <laughs> Does it change the commercials with the client? And I think certainly as a project-based service agency and, and although again, we do something quite different, there's always the argument that says, well, you end up cutting your revenue by 20% if you do that because you've only got four days in the week to work. Is is, is that a nonsense? Well, we don't notion? bill on time. Most of the time, we don't bill on time. <laughs> we bill on deliverables. So yeah. theoretically, if all of those deliverables are being delivered, then we shouldn't need to decrease that. I mean, all of the research shows that you know you get significant boost in productivity 
which, you know, so you get the same, the idea is that you get the same amount of work done in four days as you would five. And I believe that because there's a lot of dead time during the week. You know, there's a lot of waiting around for clients to sign stuff off. And, you know, if we can tighten that up and get it done quicker, then, you know, actually that's a massive benefit for our clients to be more efficient. So it is all about efficiency. So, you know, one of the things I did was I looked at my schedule and I thought, well, why don't I reduce all of my networking calls to 15 minutes? You know, I have big networking goals. So I try to meet 50 new people every month. So I did that. And just by doing that, I saved myself four hours in a week. So that's half of the day. And then we deleted all of the internal team meetings and then reset them. So, you know, quite often in an organization, your internal meetings will grow and spiral and you'll end up with like seven calls about one thing that you definitely don't need during the week. Mm -hmm. So it was a chance to kind of like wipe the slate clean, look at what we actually definitely needed for internal calls and then put them back in. So we've just done that. And, you know, it saved. Yeah. I mean, I've probably already saved four or five hours of Mm -hmm. my week. I mean, but there's also other benefits that you have to consider. So if you are better able to attract talent, if you are better able to retain your talent, Mm. then, you know, that is a cost savings as well that needs to be considered alongside, you know, any dip in productivity or, you know, any dip in deliverables. Very interesting. And uh, well, best of luck with it. It'd be very interesting to hear how that goes. And I guess in in doing that, which is where we started thinking about people and culture is, you know, that that in itself just continues to reinforce. I can see your point about competitive advantage, but I guess it, it continues to nourish and nurture the culture you're trying to create within the firm as well. Of course. I mean, we don't want anybody working long hours or being stressed out. You know, we want them to have, be recharged on a Monday and ready to go. So, I mean, I, I think... Yeah, we're already seeing a lot of benefits. You know, we're already doing a meeting free Friday as part of the transition. You know, we'll then move into half day, four and a half days, and then we'll move into four days. And, you know, we're already seeing just from having meeting free Fridays and getting ready, we're already seeing an increase in efficiencies and already seeing some really positive things happen within the team, you know, and we're going to be doing a trial period and, you know, it's all hands on deck, you know, everybody needs to make it work. And if, you know, it doesn't work, then, you know, it's not just on me, you're not just on the senior leadership team, you know, it's on all of us. So it's really nice thing to like rally the team around and, you Mm. know, to give us a mission of, you know, okay, well, let's work really hard and really smart and we'll get, you know, an extra day off. So, I mean, I think it's a really cool thing. And at worst, it will give us more efficiencies. And at best, it will give us only needing to work four days instead of five. Awesome. That's very attractive, very appealing. You're making my mind worth thinking about the possibilities, certainly from our perspective as well. So so we talked there about efficiency, just, I guess, the last couple of areas I just wanted to cover you really. I mean, how do you measure the success of great content? So, um, you know, I guess there's some basic stuff around metrics and KPIs, but how do you go about doing that with your clients? Yeah, I mean, we create impact reports. So we look at how their content's performing from Google Analytics, but also from SEMrush. So looking at, you know, what we want to see is an increase in organic traffic, an increase in rankings, ranking on page one for some strategic keywords, and, you know, seeing all of that really great juice. I mean, there's the data, but then also one thing that I really love is when people start talking about the brand. So, you know, Mm. you'll hear from people internally, like, oh, you know, the sales team said that that one of their prospects had read an article and, you know, it was really great or saw a social post and, you know, really got them thinking. So there's all of like the quantitative data. But I guess 
what I kind of love as well is all of like the data that can't be quantified, you know, the really nice comments, you know, being top of people's minds, you know, building those relationships. I think that is equally as important as, you know, ranking on page one for a strategic keyword. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it ties in with somebody you introduced me to actually, Remini. We had, we had a conversation and uh, on the podcast as well and talking about how the work that she does, obviously she picks up on some of those much deeper sort of qualitative aspects of the relationship build on a B2B kind of organization. So I guess that's uh, that kind of thing comes into it as well, where you really get quite intimately having a conversation with the client about you know the impact of this stuff, but also, as you say, thinking about what you're seeing around you, which is much more less numerical or much more quantifiable from an emotional and cultural sense, should we say. I guess the final point really is return on investment. I mean, yeah, if it's something like a long form piece of copy, I mean, how do you measure return on investment for something like that? I mean, obviously, we, we talked a little bit there about some of the, the measures. Is it much more around the quantifiable piece or, or is it more qualitative in, in terms of actually how you'd measure that? I mean, I guess it, it probably touches on the answer you've already given, but do you set those kind of expectations up front on, on projects that you do? Yeah, I mean... It's a bit of both, really. It is quite important to be thinking from both sides of it because it is about brand awareness. You know, as you create more content, people are going to start to know who you are and going to start to talk about you, which is a really good thing. And, you know, you're also going to be start seeing more traction to the website and, you know, start seeing all of these sorts of things coming through and happening. I mean... What's important is that, you know, it, it's none of that's going to be achieved with like just one piece of content. <laughs> you need to do it regularly and consistently over the long term. So, you know, this is, it's not a, you know, one and done. It's more of a journey. You know, you're going on a journey to build your brand, to attract customers. You know, we talk about share voice and, you know, share voice is how you gain new customers. So, you know, your share of voice needs to be greater than your share of market. And that is how you're going to grow your company because that is how you get new customers. You can't mm-hmm. get any new customers if nobody's talking about you. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I guess my final question really springs off that is, do you also work in a sort of, a lot of people talk about agile marketing now in terms of, you. so for an ongoing campaign or client where you've got a a longer term relationship i guess you're taking feedback in all the time and then adapting and adjusting based on the feedback you're getting and almost go again because you think you can perhaps achieve greater traction or impact as a result of the feedback that you're getting is is that typically part of what you do in terms of sort of almost designing a closed loop feedback loop somewhere in the work that you're doing as well Yeah, I mean, because we create the content and get feedback from the clients. But then once it's live, you know, we review those results and those results feed back into the strategy. Because, you know, when you're doing an ongoing, ongoing piece of work, you know, that tends to be how it works. So it is, you know, a closed feedback loop with feedback being both from the clients, but also from the data that it produces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many parallels here with just the general way in which people manage customer experience, which is not surprising because obviously content plays a huge role in that, um, particularly in digital channels. So uh, so thank you for sharing that. I mean, if you could sort of cite, you know, great copy, is there a kind of top three things? If, if someone said to you, you know, what, what I'm, I'm thinking about designing some great copy, or I, want, I want to maybe commission someone like yourselves to help with us. I mean, what are the kind of, top tips if i can put it that way to sort of simplify and boil down if you like the learnings that you've got in your head around you know what what makes great copy i think one of the first things that makes great copy is understanding who you're talking to and understanding Mm. your audience quite often what happens is brands create the content internally or they ask subject even worse they ask subject matter experts to create the content but rarely are these subject matter experts 
talking to the audience. You know, they're creating a developer is going to write an article as a developer would. But if your audience is not developers, then, you know, it's going to go right over their heads. It's not going to hit the right notes. So it's thinking about who you're talking to and meeting them where they are, which is, you know, quite often the problem with subject matter experts because they're too close to the woods to the trees. So if you've been developing software for 20 years, you're going to understand it in a way that nobody else, you know, like a CTO, you know, even C-suite, they won't understand it in that way. So what you want to do and what you need to do is to think about how these messages convey to your audience and making sure that they translate in the right way rather than writing content that only you want to read. I think that's probably one of the biggest mistakes. I mean, another top, like another thing that needs to be kept in mind is that content, especially organic marketing is a journey. You know, it's going to take six months to start seeing really good results. See so many brands who don't do that or don't do that consistently. So one month they might publish one article, the next month they might do four, the month after that they might do zero. And not having that consistency kills your momentum. And by killing your momentum, you never get to that finish line. So, you know, it needs to be seen as something that's done consistently and continually forever you know you can't just say okay that's enough i'm done you know i've done enough content because i've seen brands do it and their results fall right off the cliff edge so you know thinking about it and in a continual consistent way and you know building a content machine that can deliver that is really important and then i think probably the third is just you know to get started so you see a lot of brands who closely scrutinize every single word or every single detail of, you know, a LinkedIn post and, you know, don't actually ever hit publish, you know, and that's probably one of the worst things you can do is death by feedback, you know, constantly going through and making sure every single little detail is perfect. You know, it doesn't, doesn't need to be perfect. You're going to learn, you're going to, you know, be able to adapt, you're going to be able to, you know, rework it. I mean, don't say anything offensive, but apart from that, Trust us. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. No, really good, really good. And again, you know, so many parallels there. I think um, if I was asked the same question about customer experience, it's well, pretty obvious. Know your customer, really get un- get to understand them, and try stuff and understand that this is a long journey in itself. I mean, nothing happens overnight, and you've got to build. So, so thank you. That's been fascinating. Thank you so much for for sharing that. And again, as I sort of said during the interview, I think quite often people, when they think about copywriting. They've got really no idea about the depths of, you know, how much understanding needs to go into it, what what a skill it is, and even understanding from a journalistic perspective, you know, how you create different tones of voice for different settings, different types of publication, et cetera, is is a is a massive skill. So thank you very much for for sharing so candidly uh, what you do for a living. And um I can see very clearly there how you can link it to so many parts of customer experience design. So so thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Thanks very much for listening today. If you found that useful, please give us a like on whatever platform you're listening to us on. And if you'd like to know more, you can find us at penpartnership.com or you can follow Pen Partnership on LinkedIn. Until next time, goodbye.